Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that, though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The word of God. For the people of God. And all God's people say thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you be with us this morning as we reflect upon it, so that you might transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Once again, we are continuing our journey through the letter 1 Peter. Now, we're coming up to the halfway point in Peter's argument, and we're getting to the heart of the matter. So before I address what we've just heard, let's refresh ourselves on the argument so far. In the opening of the letter, we were told that through Jesus Christ, we have been born again into a living hope, that we will receive the rewards of the promises of God. Then, we were told that because we have been born into a new life, we have to discipline ourselves. In other words, like obedient children, we have to develop the habits of living like Christians. And then last week, we were told that we know how to live and what our life should look like so long as we make Christ the cornerstone of our actions, the foundation of our lives. 
Which brings us to the passage we heard today, and once again to a shift in the metaphor being employed. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. So, on the one hand, this letter is directed to Jewish people living in the diaspora. They are somewhat literally living as aliens in their current lands, in exile from their ancestral home. But this is not all that Peter means when he urges them to live as aliens and exiles. He also means that as the people of God, you are living in exile outside the kingdom of God. No matter which nation any of us is born into, that is not the place of true citizenship for us. We, as subjects loyal to Christ, belong first to the kingdom of God. And so Peter instructs his audience and us to live as foreigners in the world. Now, as you can imagine, this is no easy task. Balancing dual citizenship in the kingdom of God and in the nations of earth will undoubtedly test our loyalties at times. And so, Peter continues on with some more practical instructions. First, he says to accept the authority of every human institution. Then, he says to live free without using your freedom as a pretext for evil. Then, he tells slaves to accept the authority of their masters, even if they are being beaten. These instructions, along with the instructions to husbands and wives that we will see next week, can be very dangerous texts if they are taken out of their context. If we simply pluck those verses out of this letter and out of the tradition in which this letter was written, they can be used as a pretext for evil. So let's break some of this down step by step before we recenter it, as Peter does, on the cross. So first, the instruction to obey the authority of every human institution. Like Romans 13, this is a text that gets pulled out on its own to silence anyone who speaks against civil authorities in the name of justice. It is wielded like a club to try and browbeat people into conformity with the powers and principalities of this world. This sort of proof texting is inadequate for a number of reasons. It hardly makes sense, given the history of the early church, that Peter would be saying to let yourself be conformed to the world. We know that many in the early church did not conform themselves in this way. Starting with Christ, the history of the early church is a history of blood. Christ died because he would not shy away from the truth of God. His closest followers shared this fatal quality. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew was beheaded. Thomas was stabbed to death by a spear. 
Matthew was stabbed to death by a sword, Thaddeus was crucified, Simon the Zealot was crucified, James the Lesser was stoned to death. If you're keeping track, that is ten of the eleven faithful apostles who were martyred. John was the sole survivor of Jesus' inner circle to die of old age, which he did imprisoned in exile. The history of other leaders in the early church is just as bloodstained. Paul was beheaded, Stephen was stoned to death, James, the brother of John, was thrown off a roof and then beaten to death. In fact, for the first three centuries of the Christian movement, death and witnessing to the gospel became synonymous. The word martyr in Greek really just means a witness. But the history of the church runs red with the blood of those who have witnessed to God, totally transforming how we hear that word today. So what does it mean for Peter to say to the faithful that we are to accept the authority of human institutions? Clearly, the lives of the saints demonstrate that acceptance of authority is not the same as compromising the truth. Clearly, acceptance of authority is not the same as silent subservience. To accept the authority of human institutions is to accept the consequences of our allegiance to Christ. It means that when our allegiance is put to the test between Christ and the state, we must always choose Christ. Candida Moss is the author of a book titled The Myth of Persecution. Within that book is a chapter called Why Did the Romans Dislike Christians? that persuasively demonstrates that in the eyes of Romans, the early church was being prosecuted rather than persecuted. In other words, Christians refused to conform to the laws of the empire, and therefore they were subject to criminal punishment. What were the two quirks of the early church that made them most threatening to the established order? They refused to participate in the civic religion that venerated the state through the emperor, and they refused to participate in military service. When this letter is written to the communities and diaspora, it is written to people living in the Roman province of Asia Minor. They are clearly suffering under these types of prosecutions because this whole letter is about how to persevere through those trials. So whether we call it persecution or prosecution depends on if we are the group being affected. The idea of persecution has become an obsession within American Christianity. Churches in the United States will leap on any perceived slight to cry out about how they are being oppressed. And yet, Peter clearly foresaw this mindset. He tells the faithful to live free, which is to say he tells them to be liberated from fear of the world through Christ, but not to use their freedom as a pretext for evil. If you've taken our class on church history, you will know that as soon as Constantine wed the church to state power, 
the river of blood started flowing in the other direction. Once the cross and the crown became entwined, the persecuted became the persecutors. The Byzantines used the power of the state to purge heretics. The Roman church launched Europe into the Crusades. The Iberian church fought the reclamation and then exported their blend of cross and sword to Latin America. The Reformation sent Europe into civil war. The church in America used texts like the one we heard in 1 Peter today to justify slavery. The church in Germany succumbed to Hitler. The church across time and space has failed to heed the words of this letter. Do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Do not use the cross to inflict suffering on others. So in today's world, if you hear people decry shelter-in-place orders as an infringement on their religious liberties, ask yourself, why the cross should be used as an excuse to unnecessarily expose people to death. If we have freedom in Christ, we have an obligation to use that freedom responsibly. So let us be clear about what this letter means when it tells us to submit to authority and be free. We are to live out the truth of God. If this truth causes us to come into conflict with the powers and principalities, we have to be prepared to face the consequences. If we lose our job, our friends, our families, or even our lives in pursuit of justice and mercy, then so be it. This freedom... The freedom that comes from knowing our salvation rests in Christ alone. The only true freedom in life comes with the obligation that we act responsibly. We are not to use the freedom of Christ to hurt others. We are not we are to use our freedom to live as citizens in the kingdom of God. That means we are to live with compassion with a hunger for justice, with hearts of mercy for the downtrodden. Because if we do those things, and if we are prosecuted for our righteousness, then we too become witnesses to the faith. If we can withstand the evils of the world, even to the point of death, we become just like our Lord. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. The suffering of the righteous exposes the wickedness of the unrighteous. When Christ was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Christ, who committed no sin, who did no wrong, had the power to command hosts of angels. If ever there was a human who was justified to defend themselves against the violence of the world, it was Christ. But that's not what he did. So who are we to think we have more right than Christ 
to use violence? Who are we to think that our case is more just than that of the Messiah? Christ trusted in the promises of God. He knew that meeting evil with evil would never bring good into the world. And so he died with a prayer of forgiveness on his lips. May we have that same courage. May we have that same faith. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God of freedom, give us the faith of the martyrs. Let us have the courage to speak out for love and justice, and let us have the steadfastness to face the consequences. Amen.